Mr. Matt Waldman back with us again this week. Um, Matt, when I, I think everybody has the year that they really remember as the first year they started watching football. For me, it was 1998. Uh, the Michigan Wolverines were co-national champions that year. Charles Woodson won the Heisman Trophy. And I distinctly remember Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning, and a very uh, upset-looking Randy Moss there at the Heisman Trophy trophy ceremony in New York. I can distinctly remember Randy Moss wearing, uh, wearing those glasses at the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And when I think about, you know, that era from the late 90s and into the 2000s, there were a lot of big bodied wide receivers. Of course, Randy Moss, um, one of my favorite players of all, all time, Herman Moore, a, a great Detroit Lion, Terrell Owens, Eric Moulds, Keyshawn Johnson, David Boston was huge. David Boston was absolutely enormous. You think about Plaxico Burris. And then, you know, even in the mid 2000s with Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey, there seemed to have been an era for these big bodied wide receivers. But then I look at the receiving statistics for 2022, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. A.J. Brown is a little bit of a throwback to that bygone era. But then Stephon Diggs. I guess I want to start this off by asking is, is there still room in the NFL for the six foot four, 215 pound wide receiver? Or should those guys play another position? Um, absolutely. There's room for it. It's just that I think that the league has gone towards the smaller receivers because now defensive backs can't be as physical because back sometime in the 2000s, they lessened the rules so where they could influence more passing. You know, I, I joked that the Patriots basically were mugging, you know, mugging receivers and playing physical with them in a way that forced the, uh, forced the league to decide that they were going to make the, make the game a little more exciting on offense. And as a result of that, you know, they, they started looking at cornerbacks with a lot of speed and quickness who didn't have to play as physically. Um, and then receivers kind of followed suit is that, well, now I got to be a little quicker and faster than these cornerbacks. So now we're looking at super speedsters or we're looking at systems where really there's a lot more spreading of the field. So you don't have as much one-on-one -on, -one on an island having to play against press coverage as often. You're doing a lot more RPOs and a lot more blocking to, to get into that open space. But, you know, still, A.J. Brown is the guy you mentioned as the anomaly. Well, if you look at A.J. Brown, he can run pretty much the entire route tree um, as a great route runner. And there are a lot of the guys you mentioned in the 90s who were top wide receivers still could do that. You know, Brandon Marshall, Terrell Owens, um, Eric Moulds, all those guys come to mind. Certainly Calvin Johnson, who we didn't mention, who might be the biggest of the bigs, could run every route that you could imagine in terms of what he did with speed and quickness. Um, and he ran it like a small receiver. I just think it's that it was easy. It's harder to find those types of guys um, maybe nowadays. And, it, and part of it has been the self-selecting process where it's been easier to get you know, now that the receivers don't have to be as physical all the time, it's easier to find guys who are smaller and quicker and don't have to play that level of game and probably even in high school and in college. So I think that's part of it. But yeah, if a receiver comes along who can 
you know, drop his weight, win against press, tell a story, use different manipulation techniques to, to work his stems, then certainly he could become a primary receiver. And, and I would argue even a, a tough 1A, even if he doesn't have the absolute quickness to, to win deep on a regular basis. You know, I think guys like Mike Williams maybe aren't like going to kill you deep, but they're kind of a 1A, 1B with Keenan Allen, who off play action, they certainly can get the job done. Um, and, you know, and I think that there's guys who are more complete route runners that, that, you know, that may come down the pipe who can be, you know, that number one option as a bigger player. I'm trying to lay the foundation here for our conversation about uh, Michigan State to Florida State wide receiver transfer Keon Coleman, who, of course, had an explosive performance uh, this weekend against LSU. You mentioned Mike Williams. He was on my notes as to, you know, to, as a, a player of this big bodied type who, of course, taken in the first round in the top 10. And we had high expectations for him hasn't really quite met those expectations. George Pickens, another one. There's an ongoing battle on Twitter right now as to whether or not he's actually open. You know, he, uh, uh, he's when he's making these spectacular catches. Well, he has to make these spectacular catches because he's not actually open. You mentioned um, the ability to run a full route tree. What what do you what have you seen in what you've watched from Keon Coleman? Is he Mike Williams or is he a player who can run a more complex route tree? I know I have my answer for that question, but what do you see when you watch him? Well, it's funny. I had hadn't watched Coleman yet until today. And when you mentioned, hey, I'd like to do one on Coleman, said, sounds good to me because what I had seen of him was a player here there at Michigan State um, when I was studying, you know, Jaden Reed. And then last, you know, over the weekend on Twitter, seeing highlight plays of him winning fade routes and contested catch routes um, against LSU. So, you know, I turned on the LSU game and I scored him for, for the RSP. And then I went back and watched the, the Penn State game in 2022 when he was with Michigan State. And I was surprised because all the highlights that I saw were the contested plays. And then I today I posted some some plays where he didn't even get an accurate target thrown his way, but the routes were good. Um, I saw a player who really understood how to tell a story, um, meaning that he knew how to when to widen his stem or dive inside. He knew how to attack the leverage of the coverage playing off of him. And it wasn't just... You know, most times we think of most receivers in the college game, they make one move to set up another move. The better receivers in, in football usually make one move to set up the cornerback to expect the second move and then make the third move to leave that cornerback in the dust. To me, that's a storytelling type of thing. Marvin Jones was really good at that as a route runner. Um, and I see that with Keon Coleman. Like, I was, I was watching routes where... He he attacked the leverage and had the defender thinking, oh, I know where he's going. He's going to go outside. And then he would sell the fade or the out and then break directly back inside. And he could drop his weight into the, the drop and pop um, break, which is really inside step, 
drop your weight and then turn out of your second step. And that's, you know, and if you're running a comeback or an out in the intermediate range of the field, you've got to have pretty flexible hips and strength and confidence in your footwork and timing to do that. And he looked good doing it and attacking the ball. Now, does he look like the fastest guy? He does not at all. He looks more, uh, maybe even slower than Mike Williams was. Um, so maybe he's not going to be a primary guy. I don't know. We'll see what his his speed is. But you could see that he could get, he did have the acceleration to get behind corners within the first 15 yards. And he knew how to stack guys. So all the elements are there in terms of setting people up, having ha- using his hands and his feet in combination to get separation early, really setting up and baiting defenders either before the stack or even after the stack. So he understands route running and he has the flexibility to do it. And if you can get the early separation and you can stack in your 6'4", 215, you control the pace of the route and you control um, what you can do at the end of it. And that was, you know, that was, a, you know, Terrell Owens early in his career was a 4'6", guy. That's what he was coming out of school, if I remember correctly. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I thought that was the case. Um, you know, certainly Mike Williams wasn't the fastest guy. Um, but, and Brant and, you know, Brandon Marshall certainly was not fast, you know, but he could get it done. And I think the quickness here comes into play where you could see um, Coleman as the possession flanker receiver who leads the team in receptions. Or maybe as a big slot receiver, if the team wants to go that route and he shows more acumen as a as a um, route runner. But I'd say right now, I was impressed with what I saw with his route running and think that that gives him potential to be an NFL starter. You, you talk about um, wide receivers telling stories, and it makes me remember uh, Eric Fowler, who played for the Steelers a little bit. He played for the Lions. I think he played for the Rams. He was my teammate at Grand Valley. And one thing Eric used to do in one-on-ones is, especially in off coverage, is he would hit you with what I would call a pace stride, like he would attack your leverage and hit you with a pace stride as though he was going to break. And then when he was just about even with you, he would turn on the Jets. And because you were, as a cornerback, you were hesitating, waiting to break, he would beat you because, you know, because of that delayed uh, reaction to him hitting hitting the go route, um, uh, you know, hitting the, the go route. And so, uh, no, I, I just thought of that. And Coleman mentioned. does some of that. Like he he will alter his pace to where he looks like he's speeding up to attack one side of the defender and then get the defender turned around and then break. And the defender now has to turn. He'll then attack the back of the defender. Now the defender has to stop his feet and he can use that 6-4 frame to just kind of boop right past the defender with his hands at the top of the stem and run right by him. He did that on a, on a 48, I think it was on the 48 yard reception or the 41 yard reception that he had against LSU. It was either that, or it was on a route that didn't break open. But what he also did on that play, that was really cool. That didn't break open. It was because there was an interior defender in the zone who, as soon as he broke open on the outside defender with that move, the interior defender was coming over and he saw it and it, without even um, hesitating, broke behind the defender 
to the inside to make himself open, even though he wasn't targeted. So you're seeing a quick processing receiver at this stage of his career who also can be physical and win the ball. So I think there's more to him than like end of career Des Bryant or Equinemia St. Brown or, you know, the things that people are going to say because they're looking for cool trends as opposed to watching the tape. You're, you're taking like all of the notes that I have here because end of career Des Bryant is exactly, you know, I think what we're afraid of when we when we invest in one of these bigger wide receivers, somebody who can't get open, you know, uh, what I, early separation might be, be able to get open vertically, uh, but not necessarily someone who's going to make a cornerback a turn the wrong direction. Um, I actually want to ask a, qua- a, a follow up question on separation we hear the term early separation and i think we picture stefan diggs Ma- marvin harrison um you know some of the Devonte adams you know guys like that who can really just lose a cornerback what is what's late separation to you and do you see that in keon coleman's game Ooh, um what's funny is when i think early separation i think cooper cup because he's slow with his top speed, but he's a blink of the eye fast with his short area um, acceleration. And that, to me, is what gets him the early separation to be able to win outside the way he does. But I hear you where you're coming from with that. The late separation, certainly, that's that to me, that's the player who can accelerate at with the ball in the air and get that extra step when they're side-by-side side with the cornerback. And I haven't seen enough to tell you whether I think Coleman has that. But what I have seen with Coleman is that the way that he baits defenders on routes is that he gets late separation through basically technique and trickery um, where he can he can do that late. He gets that late um, stack on a defender because – Mid route, what he does mid route is what's the best part of his game. If you ask me, it's that storytelling that gets the defender turned around, and then he gets past him, and then he gets and cuts in front of him, and then controls the pace. So when you say mid route, I think he posted a video today of a post, and he took that false step to the outside, gave himself his inside leverage, and then he had the, he stacked him and created the. Um, uh, the rebounding position that he needed to go up and get the ball, that false step at the top of the stem. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. 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 Because like to me, the early part of the route is the initial release and the initial kind of like the release work or the initial stem before he does anything to alter his path. And then to me, the mid part of the route is between the middle part of the stem and the break um, just before the break. That's the part where you're really manipulating guys if you have some route running skill. Because, you know, when you start in the early part of your release, if you're not getting pressed and you're not having to use your hands or feet, you might start off releasing a little bit more towards the outside. And then mid, if you have any skills with routes, then mid-step you might go, okay, I'm giving them the outside where I'm showing them that I'm playing um, with his leverage. But now I'm going to attack his leverage mid-stem 
and make him think twice about what it is I'm actually doing. And then I'm going to do a little pacing change here, maybe, or, you know, he might add one or two things in here that give cast doubt for the defender as to what's actually happening. Um, and I think, or expecting the wrong thing or teach him to expect the, you know, have a false expectation and then just completely pull the string on that expectation and do the opposite. And I think that's where Coleman does best is that mid stem up to the top of the stem at the break. Yeah. I, again, I, I can hear the hesitation that people have with a, a player like this late stage. Des Bryant is, is a perfect or Mike Williams, you know, a player that we have high expectations for, but never actually reaches um, that potential. That being said with Keon Coleman, the price that we're paying for him was much much less than those two aforementioned players and if i'm hearing from you correctly um i i can't i don't know how else to phrase this but he's not just a jump ball contested catcher yeah yeah far from it i think um and now is he a primary guy probably not unless his speed is better than i think or his quickness is better than i think but again, if you're if you were thinking Mike Williams was going to be a, a, a Stefan Diggs with size or a Devonte Adams or what people hope Christian Watson will become, you know, then at, or AJ Brown, then yes, that expectation was too high for Williams, and now you're disappointed that he's a wide receiver two, wide receiver three in fantasy, um, whereas. With Coleman, I think people, I don't know what people are paying, but I would have, you're going to tell me, but I would have to imagine that they're coming from a spot of him probably being a hopeful wide receiver three, where he might actually be a wide receiver two. And in the right offense, maybe a high volume pass catcher who could sneak into, you know, high end receiver two, low end receiver one territory if everything really comes together. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think there's just more about players coming from opposite directions of expectation. I'm trying to filibuster here as I find where Keon Coleman went in our last draft. So here we go. Uh, now this was upon him transferring to, uh, Florida state. Now, when he was at Michigan State, we knew about him as a freshman. We knew that he was going to play both sports. And so, you know, if you drafted him two years ago, and a lot of people did, you got him at either the end of a startup or um, the end of a freshman and supplemental draft. Great value there. This is where he went in the league of record, which was uh, a draft this offseason with a lot of names you know and love in the Debian C2C space. He went in the seventh round right after Joe Milton and Michael Pratt before Antoine Wells Jr. Uh, at South Carolina and before Jacob Cowing, before Georgia quarterback Carson Beck, and before um, Isaiah Bond at at uh, Alabama. So, you know, I think that that value is really, really fair. It's definitely fair if you got him two years ago. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess I think I know the answer to this question, but are you – would you buy or sell – uh, Keon Coleman at that at that cost that seventh round absolutely buying I mean shoot I'd bought Juice Wells 
in a in a Debbie draft um, at the end of my Debbie draft of a four round Debbie draft um, this summer. And from what I've seen of Keon Coleman, while Juice certainly has, you know, is named aptly, I would think, to some extent, um, more at least more so than Keon, I thought Keon was the more polished player. I think Keon is actually, I haven't watched a ton of receivers from this year yet, but I've watched a handful. I've watched probably a dozen. And I would say he's probably the most polished route runner that I've seen thus far. Of the guys, and, I, and you know, there's more guys to, to see, but his his game's going to stand up with from a route running perspective with a lot of other guys. And I love his, I love how he attacks the ball with his hands for the most part too. That's a skill that a lot of guys who you know everyone adored Quentin Johnston last year. And I'll put it to you this way: um, our our man. Uh, our man Keon Coleman catches the ball better than Quentin Johnston does, and he's not as fast as Quentin, but he can run some routes that Quentin can too. So maybe we're looking at and Quentin Johnston. What if I remember correctly is the number four receiver behind Joshua Palmer this year. Their first round pick is not even in the starting trio. Joshua Palmer is the the number three from here on out according to the coaches and that they're not and you know Quentin will get his chances to develop but he's not the starter and that's a first round pick if I if I recall and the and to many people the best receiver in the draft and Joshua Palmer now where would you draft Joshua Palmer in a redraft league Probably not even in not the first twelve draft. rounds, right? Right. You know, not you know, and and he's a low ceiling prospect, a high floor prospect. If you're looking at a wide receiver four or wide receiver five in a starting lineup, meaning that he's playing on the starting lineup most leagues. So yeah, Keon Coleman to me, like if you said Keon Coleman or Quentin Johnston, I'd say, well, at the price, I'll take Keon Coleman. At the if I could get inherit a team that had Quentin Johnston and I'm just holding on to him and hoping that everything comes together for him, then I wouldn't trade Quentin Johnston for uh, I wouldn't trade away Quentin Johnston or I'd be happy having him. But if I didn't, I don't want to sink the cost into Johnston basically at the rate that I would have had to pay. I agree with you on his hands. I think uh, Jet Pat Galileo calls them arrogant hands. And I see Keon Coleman going up there and squeezing the ball uh, angrily. Um, I actually, I looked at my, one of my, my oldest C2C, which started in 2020. I looked at my roster uh, after the games ended this weekend. I said, I've got Keon Coleman here on the bench. So it felt great <laughs> about that feel great about having Mr. Waldman every single week to talk about these players selling uh, Travion Henderson. That's after he, I mean, that was before he split time with th- three different running backs this weekend in a very slow game. Oh, had, did he really? Know, like 20 yards rushing or something like that. Okay. Um, and I, I, I have since tried to trade him. I have been unsuccessful in doing so there now. But the great thing about C2C is you got Keon Coleman on your roster and you invested, you know, a little bit of capital, you could go trade him now for a Cooper Cup or one of these a Devontae Adams. I mean, that is the great thing 
about C2C. So, um, Matt, uh, thank you for joining us this week, and we'll have you back next week to talk about the value of another player. Sounds good. I actually have a, a customer request um, for um, you on our podcast to discuss a certain Arizona State player, I believe. So we'll uh, we'll talk more about that later. Sounds good. Peace, everybody.